Well, I invite you to turn with me in your uh, Bibles to the book of Luke, and you can find a pew Bible should be on the end of most of the pews. If you don't happen to have one with you today, uh, we'll look at Luke. That's uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke in the beginning of the New Testament, chapter 24. And then we're going to turn over and look at a couple of verses in the book of Hebrews as well. If you want to follow along in the sermon uh, notes section, there's one at the back of your a worship guide with a little bit of an outline. And uh, let me share a little bit about our goal here. We're obviously wanting to take a look at how the work, the, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, all that he has accomplished, uh, can transform our lives. And what it means for that to continue transforming our lives. The Luke passage we're going to look at reminds us briefly of the resurrection events, which we may or may not be familiar with. And then the passages in Hebrews walk us through how Jesus's nature as fully God and fully man enable him to, to be this this high priest, this one who can substitute himself through his blood, bring about our salvation and through his newness of life, his new life, bring us Newness of life. So I invite you to read along silently as I read a few of these uh, passages and then we'll uh, share for a few minutes about them. Luke chapter 24, uh, beginning in verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. That the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning to the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, that is the other eleven disciples, and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told them these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home, marveling at what had happened. And then in Hebrews, which is further back in your New Testament, uh, before you get to Revelation, but after First and Second Timothy and so forth, Starting in chapter 2, a few verses, 14 through 18, it says this, speaking of us, God's uh, children. It says, since therefore the, the children share in flesh and blood, this is verse 14, he himself likewise partook of the same things, talking about Christ, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in service to God, to make propitiation, that means atonement or payment, 
for the sins of the people. For because he himself suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. And then one more passage. Let's look at Hebrews 10, uh, verses 19 to 25. Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. And it gives us some, some application of these things. Uh, describing what Christ has done going into the heavenly temple, the, the, the temple in heaven. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he opened for us, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and, and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would come and teach us today from your word. We thank you that even though all of us are like grass and we know the grass withers and the flower fades, it's not true of you and your word. They stand forever. So minister to us through it. We pray today in Jesus name. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, I was sitting outside on Sanford's campus in their quad area, meeting with a fellow pastor. And a woman, perhaps a couple of years older than me, but pretty close to my age, came up to me and I saw her approaching and I started to say as she had something in her hand, you know, I've already given at the office or I don't need any of what you're selling. But then I saw the Red Cross logo on the card, and I saw her T-shirt to match with it. Uh, She didn't look like a vampire, but she was just there to get my blood. Well, if you're at a corporate office, at a school campus, or even at a church place, the blood drives are pretty common. You've seen those before, and I had as well. But this one was different. She explained to me that they were actually not there to collect large quantities of blood, but that in fact, they were seeking and working their way through everyone that would be willing to take a swab of their cheek to find one particular person, a needle in a haystack of people, if you will, who would happen to match the cure, the type of blood needed to cure a particular blood cancer in a particular individual. And sure enough, as she talked, I kind of looked over my shoulder and saw that there was a whole series of tables with tents and so forth, and a number of people sitting with the same t-shirts there. A lot of vampires, even for a college campus. Well, since I was with another pastor I felt like I should probably at least look like I was interested in helping this woman. 
And so I asked her a little bit more about what the situation was, about how she happened to get involved with this large group of people on this campus looking for this one match. And her answer stopped my vampire sarcasm dead in its tracks. The person that she was diligently looking for a cure for was her father. And she shared with me that there was no earthly hope of him living if they did not find a match. And of course, not any person would do. Thus, the search high and low, and she explained to me that these family and friends were not just on that campus one day, but had each week been going to multiple locations around the city trying to find one person who would fit this match, who could replace and provide the blood that her father needed to be a cure and to give him a new lease on life. Imagine the disappointment that they would have after weeks and weeks of that search, the the sadness, the frustration even, if a match was not found. Just sit in that for a second. And contrast that to the type of exuberance, elation, joy, relief, marveling that they would have on that day when they would find that one match. That's a picture, I think, of what we have in Christ. Because he's the perfect one who's a perfect match for what you and I need for our spiritual condition. And we know that he not only satisfies that penalty that we deserve on the cross, but he proves that he is the one who is the match through his resurrection. So if you're here today and you're searching for one to provide you with new life now and in eternity, the search can conclude. The search has come to its fulfillment in Christ. If you're here today and you've recognized and come to know Christ and realize that he is that cure, that one, uh, what a day for us to be filled with a fresh working of joy, thanksgiving, gratitude, marveling at what has been done for us. And that's really the main idea. And you can again find it in your worship guide if you want to follow along in the sermon notes section that that we should marvel at the resurrection because Jesus definitively shows that he's the match to cure our terminal spiritual illness and to give us new life. On a day like today, uh, for Easter celebration like this and Easter worship service, there's a, a lot of reasons that folks might be here, any, any of us. Maybe it's tradition. Maybe we grew up going to, to church some, and Easter was one of those times, and we're, we're here today. Maybe family or friends invited you to come. It's a family day. Maybe you're searching. Maybe you wondered for some time about the Christian life or you're returning to it after having been away from it for a season. Maybe you're here, like a lot of us, and you're struggling. Marriage difficulties, parenting challenges, work struggles, financial burdens, 
substance addiction, anger issues, paralyzing worry, significant loss that you've experienced in your life. The list goes on and on. Maybe that's the case for you. Or maybe you're here and things are actually going really well. Things are going so well. And, you know, they're not as great as they could be, but you realize things are going pretty well. And you have this sense that it really hasn't all come from you. And it's not really all for you, that success. Or you're enjoying the blessings of this life, but you're honestly not exactly sure where you're going to stand in the next one. And maybe you're enjoying the benefits and blessing of that prosperity But you find, ultimately, they don't fill the deepest needs of your soul. Maybe you're just here today because it's, you know, you're a church participant here or somewhere else, and it's Easter Sunday. It's good to go worship the Lord, or maybe any combinations of those reasons. But as we think about what Jesus has done for us, his life, death, and resurrection, this is a fantastic time. For us to think about where are we on joy, on marveling, responding to him. Where is that marveling moving us into a changed life, a life that's more in step with him, more obedient to him? Where is that joy bringing about and that marveling bringing about peace? Where is it bringing a more secure identity for us? All of these things available to us through Christ. And what I want to do today, if you'll uh, allow me to, is take a few minutes and just think about my Red Cross friends. Think about those friends on the campus seeking that match and how it relates to all that Jesus has done for you and for me. So let's think about it this way. You know, the first step of their process was getting people to, to be swabbed, right? I imagine Thousands that they're looking through. And that's their search, right? The swabbing is their search for the one. As we think about our searching for the one and swabbing, in a sense, you know, we could swab every person on the planet for the the situation that you and I have. Our sin, our lostness, our propensity to turn away from God instead of seeking him. And we would never find somebody that would be the match, that would be the fit. The amazing thing is that uh, throughout God's redeeming history, the swabbing has kind of already been done. Several number of swabs have been taken. And I want you to, to look at these today as we take a little journey for just a moment back through all that's happened in the Bible, just highlighting a few key points uh, of how God's people were being prepared. Swabs were being taken. The search was on for this one who would redeem them. Think about all the way back in Genesis with Adam and Eve. You're probably familiar with that, at least generally, even if you haven't looked at it in a while, where Adam and Eve are come and they're tempted. They turn away from God. They substitute themselves uh, for him, in a sense, and their opinion for his. And then uh, physical death comes. They, they didn't get spiritual, or they got spiritual death. Physical death comes, but spiritual death was, was uh, there as well. And yet God provided for them right away. Provided for them clothing and made a promise. Do you remember that? Made a promise that one would come through a woman who would crush the head of the serpent. Sounds a little bit like that Hebrews 2 passage we read. I like what John Stott said. He said, the essence of sin is substituting ourselves for God. The essence of Christianity 
is God substituting himself for us. It was already one swab, some search for one that would come in the future. You remember the account of Noah and so forth, how God protected them while he destroyed everything else. You remember Abraham, perhaps, and that powerful picture that maybe you've read before or meditated on, where the the covenant relationship was established between Abraham and God. And they had an interesting way of securing their contracts, if you will, kind of signing on the dotted line. We talk about signing something in blood maybe as a way that we we say we're really going to do it. Usually in a corporate setting, you probably have attorneys there or closing on a house. You're signing a document. The way they did it in the Old Testament was a little bit more graphic, but it got the point across. They would take uh, take animals, uh, a series of animals, and they would chop them in half. And they would set them on either side. And then the two people that were making the commitment to one another, the covenant, the promise, would walk down through the middle of those animals together. And it was this powerful message that, that said, if either one of us fails to uphold this agreement, may it be to us as it is to these animals. That's a way. Maybe we keep some more contracts. If we did that today, maybe we need to stir that back up. And God's making this covenant with Abraham. And God takes Abraham and puts him to sleep when those animal sections are divided. And so Abraham's not even awake as God in this sort of smoking canister demonstrates his presence coming down him by himself through these animals, signifying a swab. One's going to come who's going to uphold the covenant that we cannot uphold. Think fast forward to disciples sleeping in the garden. As Jesus prays, Moses and the plagues and God uh, watching over the firstborn of Israel with that blood put on the doorpost, that blood offered up. And and then the people of God going out and being able to cross through the Red Sea and into the promised land and over Jordan, that sign of resurrected life. Leviticus, where they took the, the sacrificial system and they had two goats to illustrate both parts of what Christ would do for us this additional swab and they'd put their hands on the head of that goat. And the the idea was this, this goat is me. It symbolizes me and what I deserve. And they would send one goat off into the wilderness to its death, separation. And one goat they would sacrifice, showing that penalty, that day of atonement, pointing a swab, pointing ahead to one who would come. We know the Davidic kingdom as well that we're going through in our sermon series that the kings, even the pinnacle King David doesn't measure up to what we need in our king. And then Isaiah 53, you can turn there with me if you want to, uh, but but I'll read it aloud to you here. Isaiah 53, this is while those kings, while they're in the midst of that disappointment with the, the kings that would lead them, the human leaders. And in verse 3 of chapter 53, seven, eight hundred years before Jesus would set foot on, on earth, here is this picture of him. It says this. It says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely he's borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. 
All we have gone, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have everyone turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then jumping down in verse 10, it describes the future hope as well that his soul makes an offering for sin. He shall see his offspring and prolong his day and the will of the Lord shall prosper. He doesn't just make the penalty for it, but he brings us into a new reality, a new existence with him. This is the picture. These are some of the swabs. Let's say, though, we don't have one of those. Or we don't put much stock in what this book says. Right? Got all those swabs, which are powerful pointers to me, to one who would be a match. Let's say we don't, though. That reminds me of that statement by one of the church fathers, where he said simply this. He said, God has made us for himself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. God's made us for himself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. Let's say you don't buy all that swabbing. Just swab your own, not cheek, but soul. And ask yourself today if, if, uh, if you need rest. If you need refreshment. Jesus offers to provide it. That's what the resurrection is about. Uh, another writer, C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of, of Narnia, and I, I guess I quote from him pretty regularly, he, he put it this way. He said, if I find in myself and in this world a longing for something which this world doesn't seem to be able to provide, it probably means I was designed to find that fulfillment in another person and in another place. All swabs pointing to this one Jesus ultimately. Well, the point, of course, of swabbing is to find a match. And we could talk for a while, too, about the reality that Jesus is that match for what we need spiritually. We could look at his miraculous deeds. Think about all the things that he, that he did. Again, they, they just kind of seem sort of rote if we forget how special they are. The healings that he did, casting out demons, uh, turning water into wine, five loaves and two fishes, walking on water, calming storms, just to give a sampling of his miraculous deeds. And then we can think about his crucifixion, uh, where we can for confirming now, is he the match? Is he in fact the match? We search for him. We've taken a swab. Is he the match? Absolutely. The crucifixion. Uh, some folks have posited, of course, a, a sort of swoon theory, they call it, that maybe Jesus has just kind of went to sleep. If you read the gospel accounts, the Romans were viciously meticulous at making sure they got their job done. They made sure that Jesus was dead. They went by, they checked afterwards to make sure he was dead. Then, of course, he would have been wrapped in tens of pounds of of uh, embalming uh, material and so forth, the claws that they were looking for, and he would have been in that tomb for a series of days as well. The crucifixion is a reality. It, it happened. It took place. And then the resurrection. I actually posted something on Facebook yesterday about this. It was pretty good about what the, the resurrection means and, and how we can know its validity. Maybe I'll post that on our Facebook a page for the church, and you all can look there if you'd like to, to see more about it. But I'll tell you this, the, the, the evidence for the resurrection, of course, is, is found in so many who observed Jesus after he was dead, people with names that were in certain places and saw him, not just in general, but specifically could be verified. 
but, but this has to be the biggest one, and you've heard me talk about this before if you're here on a regular basis. Well, let me just mention it again. You know, nine or ten of the disciples went to their death, usually in some horrific, brutal ways. A lot easier ways to die than many of the twelve disciples were, were killed. Went to their death that way. And they, they did so proclaiming that Christ was risen, that he's done what he said he had done. Now, people will sometimes die for a lie, but people rarely die for a lie that they know is a lie. And I don't really know of anybody, certainly not a group of nine or ten that you could get together, who would die for a lie that they knew was a lie and that was not going to benefit them anything. If the resurrection wasn't true, they would have gained nothing they would have given their life for it. So Jesus is a match. The swabbing search is concluded. What, what does he do for us then as that match? He gives us a transfusion. He gives us new life and restoration. Uh, let's say, for argument's sake, that the family of volunteering and all the friends and people that had been on that search... For, for that gentleman with that blood cancer, uh, found a match. They, they confirmed the match. That person was willing to give their blood. They knew it would bring restoration, but the strangest thing happened. The man with the blood cancer, the cancer-ridden father of that woman I met, decided he didn't believe in blood transfusions or he didn't like needles or he was just headed out to the golf course and didn't want to be interrupted i don't know what you think the reaction would be but i bet those family member and friends would be lighting up his phone they'd be knocking on his door they'd not only be pleading with him but they'd be getting a little bit angry a little bit frustrated and discouraged for sure. Why? Because they were, you know, reaching out to him because they felt like they were superior or they felt like other means of being healthy weren't good means of being healthy, vitamins and exercise and so forth. No, because they would know that he absolutely needed that transfusion to live. And imagine the opposite. Imagine him recognizing, recognizing that he, he needed it. And even though it was going to be tough to go through the cure, even it was going to involve some difficulties to receive that transfusion. And it was probably going to change his life in some ways to go through that, that he would meet that person. After all the family and friends would be searching, he would meet that one who was the match. Imagine the joy that he would have. Imagine the elation, the thankfulness to that person. Well, in conclusion... There's a, an old humorous story that's, uh, that's told about these matters of uh, heaven and new life that we can have through Christ. Maybe you've heard it before. Uh, a man died and went to heaven, and of course, uh, St. Peter met him at the pearly gates. And St. Peter said to him, hey, you know, this is how it works. You, you need a hundred points to get into heaven. You tell me all the good things you've done, and I'll give you a certain number of points for whatever those things are. The guy said, oh, okay. 
Well, he said, I was married to the same woman for 50 years and never cheated on her, even in my heart. Peter said, well, that's, that's not bad. I'll give you three points for that. I said, wow, okay, three points. All right, let me regroup here. All right, well, I, I attended church and participated and supported its ministries all, all my life. Peter said, terrific, terrific. That, that's going to get you one point. Whew. Man was getting concerned now. This is difficult. He said, well, let me get a, let me get a zinger going. He said, well, I, I did, I started this soup kitchen, and it ministered to veterans who were in need and were struggling and provided for, for their uh, basic needs. And I, I ran that and started it, ran it for years. Peter said, oh, that's nice. Two points. A man looked at Peter at that point and said, at this rate, the only way I'm going to get into heaven is by the grace of God. Peter said, bingo, come on in. Come on in. Well, folks, in a room this size... There's many different spiritual traditions, backgrounds, stories that we've all got. Each one of us has one. Each one of us has one. Uh, maybe your story is that you were once quite enthusiastic about the things of God. And you look back on it, though, and realize it was just enthusiasm. There was no guts to it. There was no solid foundation, no truth at the middle of it. Maybe you're here today and your story is kind of the opposite. You feel like you've had a cognitive recognition of some things about God and about who Jesus is. But you've got to be honest, you don't know that you really found your rest in him. That you really know God personally. Uh, maybe we're here today and we're confident we're going to go to heaven, but it's because we're overrating the value, like our man at the pearly gates, of the things we've done and are instead of trusting Christ and his righteousness alone, maybe we're in the opposite boat. We're here today, and although we're dressed up nice and it's Easter, we know the things that we do, the things that we think, the things that we have done, the things that we have thought. And we don't really believe that we can have the resurrection because we, we know we don't deserve it and we don't think anybody would ever be willing to give such a gift to us. Folks, the, the cross, the resurrection, they shout to us today of the love of God that's shown to us, of His mercy and of His grace, that we've got this one that we don't have to keep swabbing anymore. We, we have all the swabs we need. We found a match. We found a perfect one for our condition. And indeed, that we ought to welcome that transfusion and celebrate it, marvel in it, delight in it, in a way that we leave this place transformed. Uh, if we can help you in that process as a church body, if we can help you to grow on that journey, that's our absolute delight. We would love to do that. And we're so glad that you all are here with us today. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the work that's been done on our behalf. And we thank you for the privilege of being able to just marvel today at all that has been done for us, especially this new life that we can have, as uh, Sean D. shared with the little ones, the uh, new life that we can have that comes from you and, uh, Lord, that sometimes we just overcomplicate. Father, we ask that you would give us a fresh working of new life in you or a first working if we've never experienced it before. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.